going on, bro? What's happening? Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year, bro. Happy, uh, I wanted to say <laughs> Tuesday, but it's already uh, already Wednesday. Yeah, I didn't expect the New Year. I was expecting Happy Wednesday right out the gate, so you got me that time. What's, what's going on, man? I thought we were starting a, uh, a positive uh, positive New Year. Hey, you, brokers are you messing read, me up already. No, no, no. You read that. Everybody read that wrong. I had like a conversation like in my head and it made more sense. And then when I posted it, people started coming in with the tone. And I realized after rereading it, like maybe it wasn't supposed to be a negative post. It was just like a commentary on Carrier's point of view. But I messed it up, admittedly. Good stuff. Well, hopefully brokers are paying you all the uh, all the high rates to start off the new year. So. <laughs> Actually, bro, it's been dead slow, bro. This has been like a, a really slow week. But I mean, hopefully 2024 will pick up, you know, come come end of March. Yeah, we'll see. Well, we're uh, we're excited to uh, talk to Ryan. Um, just, you know, Ryan will explain, you know, obviously we're going to talk to him. But uh, Ryan's the president of Logitown, which is one of the largest uh Largest recruiting agencies in logistics. Um, he was also a broker, and yeah, we're gonna excited to talk to him about a, you know, a lot of different things. Yeah, let's bring him in. Let's let's get started with it. What's going on, man? Hey, Ryan. What's up, fellas? Alex What's happening? And Happy New Year! Happy New Year! How are you guys? Good, doing man. good, doing good. Yourself? I'm good. I mean, I'm, I got another week in freezing Chicago before I head back to sunny Miami, but uh, business is here, and and it's a new year, so let's get it rocking and roll. How about uh, you, guys? I think every time I talk to you, you're uh, on a plane. You've been to London, Miami, Chicago. You get a fair amount of miles. So yeah, we're racking up the miles. It's like where in the world is Carmen San Diego? <laughs> <laughs> well, so, uh, I mean, yeah. go ahead, Alex. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, let's just get started with the general. You know, how did you get into logistics? This kind of thing. Yeah, so I, I guess I'll give us the uh, the sexy or glamorous story of how I got into logistics back in '05. So I was, uh, I was in May of 05 coming up on graduation from the U of I. And let's just say uh, C's get degrees, right? I, was, I wasn't getting picked for the, uh, the pharmaceutical sales jobs or the finance jobs. So a good friend of mine who's still in the industry uh, 19 years later said, hey, interview with this company. They're a lot like C.H. Robinson. Had an idea what C.H. Robinson was. And that company happened to be uh, Command Transportation, which uh, for any of you guys that know the industry well, and, and for those people who might be watching that don't, you know, Paul Loeb and Jeff Silver were the, the, the godfathers of freight brokerage and, and then the founders of American Backhaulers. Jeff went on to found Coyote and, and, and Paul found a command. So drove up from interview uh, from Champaign to Skokie in a car I, buddy, I borrowed from a buddy. Um, cruised up there as quickly as I could without getting a ticket. I think in true fashion, I was probably two minutes early. So it was early, but not late. But uh, But I was cutting it close. Uh, got in and it felt like, honestly, it looked like a bunch of the guys I've probably met in the frat house over the four years before now <laughs> all sitting at desk with two or three, two or three large screen monitors, banging phones, a lot of noise, a lot of caffeine, a lot of energy, uh, sat to, uh, kind of an area to the side, even take me to like an interview room. So I'm like, all right, they kind of had me, you know, watch what was going on, went through a bunch of questions and at the end of the, the end of the interview, Kevin Sherwood would hired me. Uh, I said, hey, uh, if you want it, you got the job. And I'm like, well, that's it? Like, I don't meet anybody else? And he goes, no. I said, when can you start? He goes, uh, I graduate in three weeks. He goes, okay, uh, you can start in four weeks or eight weeks. So being the uh, the overachiever that I wasn't back then, I picked the eight-week option to give myself a little five weeks, five weeks back in the summer or, or a little bit of summer. Because I was like, hey, you know, after four years of college and and not a ton of work that needed to be done, I was like, hey, how, how much long can I milk this, milk this for my, before my parents are like, hey, time to get to work. So 
So that's how I got my start in the logistics industry and uh, spent the first years of my career at command uh, on the customer side selling. I think I was sales rep number 12 or 13 at the time. Um, you know, when I left, I think they had over 150 customer reps and they kept growing until uh, until their eventual sale to Echo. So that's uh, that's how I got to uh, to the, the wonderful world of freight. Then after that, decided I wanted to take my talent somewhere warmer. Moved out to California for nine years, uh, worked for a couple of great companies, um, Main Freight and AIT, AIT and then Main Freight, selling a, a whole suite of services, truck brokers being one of them, international freight forwarding, um, time critical, LTL, air, ocean freight, but really learned how to, uh, to hone my craft as an outside sales rep. And then coming up on nine years ago, uh, my old man had been in, in the industry for 40 years, 20 on the recruiting side. We'd had some talks about some things. So so came over and did some work with him as a director on the on the sales side for our freight division. And then, you know, four years ago, I said, hey, let's let's launch um, what we can do and bring our services and product to the truck brokers and shippers. And and here we are today. And Logitown is where we're at. I feel like that's kind of like a, a pretty common path into logistics more so now. Like it's interesting to hear, you know, from college to logistics uh, for, from that many years back. Cause I mean, I hear, we hear it a lot now, like, Oh, you get the college kids, put them, you know, into a three PL and it's kind of like a common thing these days, but I feel like that college to logistics path hasn't really been like explained much. You know, we haven't had a guest that did that back, back then. So that's pretty interesting. Yeah, it, it was really, and, and you know, the great thing was, you, you come in there, you you maybe know what a pallet is, you've seen a you've seen a <laughs> truck, um, and you just assume everything. You know, it was it was kind of before Amazon boom, so at least we knew things. There was another way to get things to our house besides Amazon. We really didn't know or care how they got there, but you know, the best part was the first eight weeks of training there. You went through everything, um, you know, freight freight A to Z, and then sat in the hot pod, learned how to book freight, book loads everything that a carrier rep would do and then uh those of us that were on the customer side went off to go work with with customer teams what was, was your uh, primary mode were you doing reefer flatbed van what was I, your i was 95 percent truckload drive-in and uh i guess i'll use sexy and unglamorous as some of my favorite words in, in this podcast but uh i really cut my teeth and and, and my niche was paper roll stock you know pratt busy warehouser um, the beauty of it was, you know, wasn't a ton of money, but there was good enough money to loads. But, you know, any of those mills would have anywhere from you know, 70 to 200 loads going out per day. Yeah. The yeah. volume is crazy out of those paper mills. I mean, I tell my drivers like they, they think I'm like a magician sometimes because I'll tell them, hey, you're going into this area, you know, with a later delivery. I, I guarantee you you're going to pick up paper out of here. And yeah. like they always, because when you're in that South Alabama, when you're in yeah, let's say like Pine Hill, Alabama. What else? Yeah, is yeah. like as soon as you're in South Alabama, as soon as you're in Central, you know, Virginia, Pine, Georgia. Like, I know, I know you're picking paper up. Like, yeah, yeah. In the middle of nowhere, Oklahoma. It's like okay, what else is here? If it's going drive in, if it's going drive in, is a seven in ten chance it's paper. Yeah, especially when you get to those after 3 p.m. pickups, it's like only paper. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what time? What, what time is pickup? Three, three to midnight. Three, yeah. three to close. What time do you close? Four a.m. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How has that? Uh, how has that kind of helped you in the uh, recruiting uh, recruiting space? I mean, obviously, you spent ten years, you know, as a as a broker, uh, you know, doing international, a lot of different things. You know, has that you know been beneficial in the recruiting space for you? 
I think it's been massively beneficial. Um, you know, in the recruiting space, you know, we can look at, and if, if we're talking, let's start with just brokers and 3PLs, but if we're looking at what their needs are um, from sales reps, customer side, carrier side, operational leaders, uh, sales leaders, um, you know, I, I worked as a high level sales rep for many years. So, so I understood the lone wolf, the sales rep, but also the, the mentality to be a team player and what a good rep needed to be to be part of an organization versus just somebody put up good numbers, right? Um, you can have a great sales rep with amazing numbers, but you know, maybe a terrible attitude that becomes a cancer to a company. It's like, you can't use that person as an example of, hey, look up to Jimmy when his numbers are amazing, but but everything else he does is, is not in the right way or is ruffling too many feathers or not being a team player. So, you know, the experience has really taught me, you know, what to look for in great sales reps, um, what to look for in leaders, you know, what types of leaders that I worked well under, what leaders were able to motivate me and you know, what leaders motivated me along with 30, 40, 50, 60 other sales reps. Um, you know, we can talk about the different things in the industry today, albeit the tech enabled brokers or different technology, but you know, it's still a game of getting freight from point A to point B and people are necessary for every transaction in freight right now. Um, I mean, who, 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 when you're 40 trucks back at a paper pickup, Alex, if, if, if you're running everything off an app and you can't make a call because the PO number's off by one, Who's saying the, no one don't even get me started onto these you know the the jb hunts and the ubers and i mean there's a place for it and i mean we do a lot of power only with uh, jb hunt and most of it you know you're just booking it you're, you're never talking to a person for the most part yeah but um i mean i'll stand behind it i don't like that online so the only thing i like that technology has brought into the industry is that i can go you know at 7 p.m at night onto ch robinson where i can book my truck free with nobody around with nothing you know i can get the rate gone in my email yeah but like you said as soon as you have a minor inconvenience and then you're just kind of hung out to dry because now you're just gonna go call a guy and he's gonna tell you i don't know anything about this and i gotta go get a hold of another guy and that that never happens like with uber freight for example like whenever you have an issue you know i i just want to talk to a broker i want to talk to a human I want it to be resolved with a human. Yeah. <laughs> same, I mean, there's a place yeah. for it. Same way as if I have an issue with my credit card, my bank, or my airline, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I'm calling through, but I'm hitting zero every time, right? No, no, that's a perfect, perfect example. Like, if you ever picture calling your bank or, like, your internet service provider, like, that's the exact experience you get with freight, like, online only. So. Yeah, and, and I mean, when, when I have an issue, I don't want the automated system to try to diagnose what my – I already know what the problem is. I can take care of it. <laughs> It's just like I'm not calling because I'm wondering if I have an issue and go through the you know, go give me options one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and now press zero. I'm like, just give me the live person. I mean, I love online load boards. I love them as a dispatcher. I mean, it's really it really speeds things up. Like when I was doing mainly drive in, like CH Robinson board, Echo, like you just hit those main main broker boards, and all you have to do is send your rep, you know, your load ID. You already know everything. You just say, here's the load ID. Can you do 300 more? Yes or no. And then you meet on a price. You can book that freight in 10 seconds. Yeah. But at the end of the day, there needs to be a human on the other side of that load past, you know, telling me to pick up and delivery times. So. Exactly. Once it's booked, you've got your rate on who's there to support you. God yeah. forbid anything happens. What are you, um, what are you seeing companies, you know, looking for? Um, obviously I agree with you guys. The, the human element is, is necessary. What are you seeing, you know, the companies are looking for, you know, with, with sales reps, kind of the way the market is, um, you know, right now? I mean, are they looking more for soft skills, books of business? Um, you know, what are you kind of seeing out there right now? 
I guess that to be quite blunt, it's probably been like this for the last 11 months. Um, everybody, whether it's my clients or, or even cl companies that we know that we don't currently work with, small, medium, large, uh, you know, top five, top 10, everybody's wish list is uh, sellers with a book of business. <laughs> and, 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 and I think it really needs to go beyond that, right? You know, what we are seeing with some of my clients in the, in the you know, let's call them mid-range broker size that are, that are in growth mode um, through some strategic planning with them and their leadership teams. You know, we're saying, you know, any good seller is looking to make a move. If you're in sales, you're going to sell yourself, right? So say you've got 50,000 a month GP. Uh, you've been in the game for five years. You think you've got great relationships with your clients, but you might be at a top five brokerage, right? So your clients, you know, are they are they going to move because they love Matt Dahl or are they staying because the, the company that you're representing and selling for does everything so well on the on the service side, the operations, everything, right? So they can they can love you, but to think if you're doing fifty thousand a month to say, hey, um, you know, I'm moving jobs, you know, in the next month, you know, forty thousand GP is going to follow me. I think everyone would be that's very naive to think that, right? I think you know, um, small portions of books of business you know, are, are following right now, unless you've got someone who's you know ten, fifteen, maybe twenty years seller. If we're getting into my my duration in the industry, but you know, at that point, you might have seen someone move two or three times. And those accounts have, have, have eventually followed at some point. And, and, you know, two or three companies later, they've still got their core five and 10 accounts. You know, that's business you can think that will follow. But, you know, with some of the, the, the medium-sized guys, you know, they're looking at, you know, who, who can sell on potential? Do they know the right calls to make? Do they know how to get indoors? Can they position these companies up for success and, and, and find ways to sell outside of just, you know, begging for freight or coming up with a very vanilla sales pitch, right? Yeah, just email like, bombing people, yeah. man, all day. Uh, exactly. But, you know, if you look at these sales reps and they go through the interview processes and, you know, whether they're asked to do a case study or mock calls or whatever, um, you know, some of my clients are saying, hey, you know, we're going to hire on the potential or, or what this person can do and what they know versus expecting someone to come with a book of business. We'll tell you the other thing about, you know, some of these guys and girls with books of business, they say they've got 10 accounts. They might not have sold a new account in two or three years, and they're just relying on maintaining what they have through the relationships, right? But you get a, a, a slightly younger seller or a less tenured seller that is really just out there hungry and loves the chase, loves the win, loves going through the process and hunting and, and getting in front of new opportunities and showing you know what solutions they can bring to the table. And it's not going to be on the second, third, or fourth reach out. It'll probably come, you know, four, five, six months in. You know, if you, if you get freight on the second call, the first time you called them was a week ago, my guess is you're probably getting in on price and you should be nervous on why they're switching their business so quickly. You know, a 21-year-old me would have been so damn excited, like telling my boss, like, hey, look, I just got in this account. He's like, how many calls you made? I'm like, three. And, and I'm thinking I'm the best sales rep. <laughs> he's like, so you've had three calls. You talked a little bit about, you know, about what we do and what we're different. He's like, why did he give you the freight? I'm like, because he just likes me. No, he doesn't like you enough to just give you that. What was the reason, right? And you, you got to uncover, are they paying their bills on time? Do they have good freight? Are they getting, you know, are they, are they burning bridges? Like, you don't know what it is. But if the sale's that easy, I think you always got to be wary. But, you know, what I am seeing with clients, um, prospective clients for us is like, you know, what can we bring for people that will be driving business in this, you know, second, third, fourth quarter this year and helping these companies grow, right? What are you seeing too, in terms of like what companies are are offering too? Because you know, you're seeing a lot of companies nowadays. I mean, everybody wants to talk about culture and it's a big buzzword all over, all over social media. And then, you know, some of these brokerages, you know, look at their glass doors and they have like 
two stars and 75 negative reviews and they pay 2% commission and <laughs> mass turnovers, you know, I mean, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, yeah. what, what are you kind of, uh, you know, seeing on that end from, you know, candidates and, you know, kind of how important that is now with the next generation? Um, I, th- I think really me and my team, the last, let's say the last year or so really had to have some of these so-called come to Jesus conversations with different candidates. Cause if we look at, you know, 2020 when the world got weird and COVID and everything started to happen, then things shut down for six weeks. And then, then everything just went through the roof and people were buying things left and right. They couldn't travel anywhere. Consumers were spending 2021 and 2022, you know, companies new and old were setting records on both load count, volume, revenue, profit, you name it. And then and that's just, no, not just the truck brokers, carriers, brokers, uh, steamship lines, air freight, freight forwarders. I mean, everyone seemed to be making money. If you, if you had a pulse and you had some good people to get on the other end of the phone, it's like you could find freight and make money on it. And what we did see was a lot of companies that were fighting for talent were paying, you know, uh, salaries that were kind of un, unseen in this industry, right? You know, from ops to sales to leadership. The salary percentage seemed to bump by 30, 35% you know, across the board what we were looking at versus you know, what they were just the beginning of 2020. Uh, and if we look at the growth of a lot of these companies, let's call it like a rocket ship growth. Uh, and the rocket ship didn't have a nice landing. It came right back down. <laughs> End of 2022 to 2023, that, that ship, rocket ship just fell right back down. But, you know, what we're seeing is a lot of a lot of salespeople are looking, salespeople, leadership, whatever, but, you know, salespeople specifically are looking to bring, you know, their abilities, their skill set, what, what they can do to a company that's going to allow them to grow in the future. Um I think for a lot of a lot of these reps that really want to make a name for themselves a career and make good money, you know, how how big is the organization? Are they big enough to support what they need, cover the freight, and do all those things? If those answers are yes, then it's like, how big are you? But yet, how small are you? Right? You don't want to go somewhere where there's seven hundred, a thousand customer reps. So you'll spend you'll spend best part of your week just trying to find prospects to put in your name. You know, a lot of these a lot of these uh, sellers are looking to go places where they can be. Like, hey, I I know. 250 shippers off the top of my head that if they're open, I want to go after these where at their old company, you know, three of those might've been open. So, so that's big. Um, you are seeing different requests for, you know, let's call it work balance where it's remote in office, whatever. But I think a lot of the, a lot of the larger companies are kind of following suit to what the Tesla's and Google's and everyone else who said you can work remote indefinitely. And then, you know, early part of last year, telling everyone get back in the office, see a lot of, uh, logistics and brokers that have these nice big uh expensive offices wanting to fill the seats they don't want it to look like a ghost town <laughs> you know imagine trying to recruit it like you know a top 20 brokers you're like oh yeah great company culture and you go into this massive office today like downtown chicago or downtown nashville and there's like eight dudes there you're like wait where's the culture you talked about like on your website you got these pictures of like 200 people in the office and, and uh and videos of like it looks like a lot of action there's nine people here so I think it's it's a catch twenty two, right? And I think you know not every opportunity can be can be looked at the same, and not every sales rep is equal. I think you know just like anything, whether it's uh, academics, sports, politics, um, finance, you know, people you do have to earn your stripes in any industry, right? So a seller's been doing it for a long time um, and has made a lot of money for his company and probably for himself, uh, hopefully for himself. You know that person if they're if they're switching to a new company or being recruited uh, actively by a new company. I think it is fair for that person to say, Hey, you know, I've got a proven track record of 14 years. I don't need to be in an office, but if somebody's three years in the game and had two great years in 21 and 22, 
let's say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and and not a not, not a completely, you know, disaster of a 2023, but you know, it fell off considerably. It's like, okay, like do we want to, you know, co- coach that person back up, um, you know, build their confidence again, but are they going to get that by sitting at home when the market's still a bit slow? Or do we need to have them around people so they can mimic and, and see who else is yeah. doing well? And see I think that's that's like a really good point where it's like um, it happened a lot with dispatchers too, where like everyone had a 2021 that was like insane. And then, you know, midway through 2023, you had all these same people that were top of the boards in these big carrier companies that were just like they had no clue what was going on anymore. And then, like you said, the, the work from home thing is great, but you can like, I mean, I've had companies that are like, hey, you can work from home, but I still went into the office because it's like you can learn a lot faster. Um, you know, when you're are you remote uh, in Serbia, you're not in an office, are you? What do you mean, bro? There's tons of offices here. I mean, for the company oh. I'm at now. Yeah, now oh, I work. Yeah, I mean, now, yeah. yeah, I mean, now I'm fully remote, but I'm saying like when I was starting out and stuff, um, being in the office, that's like the best experience you can get, man. I mean, in, in the in five days at the office you'll have 50,000 conversations more than you would have uh, at 50 days at home. Because- Absolutely. And, and nothing like, you know, a 45 minute commute to Skokie, Illinois every day. Uh, that's 45 with, with no bad weather, but for the first year, it was 45 minutes on a great day up to an hour and 30, but you know what, you know, the 10 hours from six 30 to, to 5 PM every day in that office, uh, learned an absolute ton from some of the, the, the best in the industry. And if you look at like different people where they've gone from command, you know, the guys who started Arriver X command, you're like just all the minds that are in there. Right. And and not to mention, you know, I've got some of my longest friendships outside of my high school buddies. Like they're, they're freight guys. I mean, but yeah, every single person I'm friends with works in logistics because in, in Serbia, like, you know, not like so many people speak English, but if you work obviously in trucking, you have to speak English. So yeah. Literally every single one of my friends that like I met in this industry. And like, I mean, this this is a great industry because you have a lot of people that have the same type of attitude. You know, this isn't like a bank job. It's not some stuffy job. You know, you can meet a lot of like really interesting and like diverse set of people uh, within this industry. Absolutely. And it's the, probably the least stuffy industry I can think of. And, and every yeah. day is different. You can have a plan for like for what you think your day is going to look like. And by oh, yeah. and that plan's blown up. Bro, 11 minutes into your day, you can get to the, the email and every one of your trucks is late or every one of your loads is now like late. Like you, you can sit down and five minutes later, you, you know, your whole day is a different day. So. Yeah. I, mean, and I came from, from manual labor backgrounds. So this industry, like, it's just my favorite because you can come joke around with the drivers. They'll, they'll tell you stuff that, like, you shouldn't be talking about in a work setting. But like, it's Oh, like, you'll hear some of the, the weirdest things you'll ever hear from drivers. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. Hey, you want to put up uh, some of the comments, uh, Alex? Uh, yeah, uh, if you guys want to read that one, take, take that one in. Um, as a recruiter, that's probably like an interesting comment to dissect. It's like this awkward pause. Read comments. Yeah. <laughs> Just dead silence. Like. So no, I mean, uh, Darren's you know Darren's got a great uh, a great comment there, right? And I I, I tend to agree. I oh, uh, this will be a twofold answer, right? I have seen a lot of companies the tech tech forward ones um, or some others that are trying to, uh, I, what I say, devalue the carrier rep, which I don't agree with. Right. Um, I think carrier reps are, you know, if you look at every freight transaction, there's one half is the customer securing the freight. One half is the carrier and the carrier rep securing the truck. Right. And for, for every freight movement to be successful, I'd have a good customer, a good freight, a good carrier, the good truck, and any move freight from point A to point B. And obviously you can have any combination of, less than ideal on one side or the other, and they throw wrenches in it. But 
But carrier reps, you know, are so important to the actual transaction, in my opinion, yeah. that, you know, I, I think they should still be taken care of. Um, but I think uh, you know, if you're moving companies as a carrier, 85,000 is a big ask to come over uh, on a base salary, right? If somebody, I'd rather hear someone say, I'm going to bet on myself and I want to make 120 all in, but I'm willing to take a base of 55 or 60 or 62.5, right? And, you know, and ask what, you know, how much freight's on the board? How much freight's available? Uh, what carriers are available? What carriers can I get put my name? And if they ask all those important questions and they realize there's a ton of room for growth, that's that's what I would like to see, right? And I think that's what a lot of my clients like to see. Um, but I think we're still living in an age where when things were so good up until last year, that a lot of people, in order to make a move or to, or to be interested, they're gonna they're throwing out numbers, but I'll throw shit at the wall and see if it sticks. And if the, it's the time machine numbers. It's exactly what drivers do. It's what everybody's doing. Like the, the rates, and you know, I guess even on this side in the in the salary department, like people need a time machine to go back to twenty one to to get yeah. these rates. So. Yeah, absolutely, and I think you know that does that 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 exists beyond just the carrier reps, carrier reps, customer reps, operation leaders. Yeah, everyone, everyone. drivers, bro. Like <laughs> the market's in a different place. Um, you know, look at let's look look at like for an example, let's look at it like an athlete, right? When an athlete kind of peaks, unless it's baseball, and they get paid for the next twelve years. <laughs> but when an athlete's on their last couple of contracts, right? They they've peaked at what their top earnings were per year, right? But the last two, say the NBA last two, three, four years in the NBA, they're, they're going to make their millions, right? But a lot less percentage of what they made during their prime, right? Or, you know, if somebody's coming off of an injury riddled year where their stats went down, they're going to have to go back to approve a year, right? So, so in our industry, if you come in and you have a very aggressive compensation commission model for carrier customer sales, and you come in at a livable base salary to cover your living expenses, you know, maybe have a nice dinner every month or, 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 or you know, spurge at a couple little things per month, but keep your expenses pretty tight, but you have an amazing comp plan and commission structure, then you're really betting on yourself, right? Somebody's not feeling like they're just paying you for what you did somewhere else for somebody else. You know. I mean, I like that whole idea. That That's a cool sentence I haven't heard yet. Like, uh, I guess it's probably in sports, but uh, that the prove it year, man, because I had, when I was hiring dispatchers, like guys, you know, girls, anybody was coming in, and tell me, yeah, these are my numbers. And like, bro, these are your numbers six months ago. There's no way. Like, this is what I do for a living. You're not going to sit here and tell me this is your numbers today or last week or the week before that. Because I already know that's not true. And I mean, that's that's a good sentence. Because like this market is a proven market. Like you can't be coasting off your, your past. The market changed so much. The way the job works is so different. I mean, it's a lot of proven years um, for anybody. Even if you, you know, you've been doing this 20 years, it's not easy right now. So no, and people have been doing this for 20 years, saw saw the recession in 09, you know, 2008, 9, and 10. Um, they probably ran it up and made a bunch of money. They saw a massive decline. They've run it up again. They've seen a small decline and you know, another big run up and followed by a big decline. So, you know, those guys and girls know it's cyclical, but just because they've been doing it for 20 years doesn't mean they're immune to having to deal with the market, right? Just like anybody else. Um and if anything, for a lot of people who are in those positions, there's even chance for more exposure because their books of business are that much bigger, right? So even hit the same percentage um, retraction percentage for them, so it's called 10 or 15, 20%, much, a much bigger number than someone who's been doing it for six years. Are you seeing too, um, kind of know we've been talking about carrier sales a lot. Are you seeing a more switch to split model or is it still pretty even with companies cradle to grave versus split model out there? 
I'm I'm seeing you know, in, in what we see, there's a lot of both, right? If you, if you get split model, then you and you go and you take the split model, even uh, take that a bit further to split model with some tech, you know, traditional carrier sales. Still see a lot of that, but um, the cradle to grave, I am seeing some companies that I've known for years that were very heavily split model, uh, being more open to cradle to grave. Not saying they're trying to move the whole company, but you know they're open to to looking at teams. And if there's a cradle to grave team that's off, that are high performers, they'll find a way to, to get them that team to fit into their model, right? And say maybe okay, if we can acquire some of these teams um, of high performers, we'll bring on their cradle to grave team, maybe even add some more pieces from from what we have or hire from outside to create cradle to grave teams around uh, selling teams. So I have seen that. Um, I think it's a way to diversify and be a bit more creative, right? Yeah. Oh, definitely. And kind of going down that line, are you seeing because? Uh, I should mention it too, but we didn't mention our, we are sponsored by HD ships. Um, it's a great agent program out there. Um, but are you seeing, what are you seeing kind of in the uh, agent market as well? Are you seeing more of a, more of a shift to, to agents, um, you know, or a lot of people wanting the W2 salaries in this market or what are you seeing on the uh, agent side of things? Um, it's funny you ask that. It, it kind of ties back to, to what we were talking about betting on yourself and prove it years, right? So people who are high level sellers, who don't just want to make you know salary plus 10 or 20% in commissions, who really want to set the bar high and, and, and aim, aim for sky's the limit. Those people, whether they're um, in a W-2 model now or at an agent model, are, are very willing to the last few weeks, and I think I'd imagine a lot more and uh, anticipate in the first quarter, are very willing to look at new agent models where, they, where the commission structures are higher. But there's still that uh, school of thought of the players, play it safe crowd. Um, that were probably, you know, if you look at their numbers there, they hit singles and doubles. Uh, they'd be valuable to most companies, but they're never your rainmakers. They're not hitting triples. They're not hitting home runs. And they're looking for they're looking for salaries. And a lot of these different reps that my, my team and I, you know, 24 recruiters and myself will talk to, a lot of these reps are looking for trying to squeeze out the most salary they can get or within, in conversation, ask for the most salary, then like, what's the runway? So, so, so for us, it's kind of like you just asked two questions that we don't love to hear. And I know my clients would like love to hear it even less, right? What's the most you can pay me? And how long is my ramp up? The amount of work. Yeah. yeah. Like what's the most I can get? And what's my ramp up period? And, and, and I think, you know, those type of candidates, like you could tell them in an agent model, well, if, if you successfully transition 40% of your book of business and, and grow it, double that again. You'll go from making 75 a year to 225. And, and and these people still, they just don't see the big picture. I think they're just too, maybe too conservative or, or they really, they talk the talk until it's time to put the money where their mouth yeah. is. Like, oh, no, no, I'm good. $75,000 base and 4% commission. I'm good. <laughs> I think it's just a lot of people don't understand with this whole agent thing. Um, it, it, you got to be a, like a certain type of person. You got to really sacrifice a lot of personal time and uh, things to, to make that people just hear the numbers like oh yeah you can make quarter of a million a year but to do that man your phone's on like you're married to the business at that point and i mean i think for a lot of younger people um it's not a bad idea but i mean i think people are just overselling the 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 pay and not really talking enough about like hey to get there it's going to be like your phone is on you you're answering it all the time you're working saturday if there's trucks or loads sunday like there's just not enough of the consequence that comes with those numbers. And I mean, I'll, I think a lot of people just 
they just don't want to have that, you know, like to, to be that successful in this industry. It takes it takes a lot of your time. So. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the way me, uh, my team and I talk about the agent model, uh, you know, internally, even to, to, to clients is that so somebody has to have an entrepreneurial mind in a sense to want to be an agent. But it's like, OK, you want to go sell for yourself, eat what you kill, do all this stuff. And but but you don't get stuck down with the billing, the payments, all the other things that were running your own business, you know, the 50 other things marketing um marketing ap ar operations hr you don't have to worry about any of those so you're just selling in a very entrepreneurial environment where you're going to keep the, the larger percentage of what you sell right but you don't get bogged down with everything else but i think you know in the agent model you've got to explain it to people who aren't familiar with it. it's like you know and i even say to high level sellers you're basically running your own little organization within a bigger organization but the agent model really uh magnifies that that when you know you're an agent like you're every step of the way, you and or the team you have with you that you that you've got, you know, underneath you that's handling your operations and booking the freight. But like, you're the single point of contact. And the bigger business, the bigger your agent business gets, or any business, like the more problems you will deal with in freight. That's just that's just Murphy's law, right? I wonder if that's why some W two companies like the split model. Because I mean, from a company perspective, if you're cradle to grave. It, you're at a lot higher risk of losing not only those employees, but then them also going to become agents. Cause it's a lot harder, I think, for someone to move their book of business if you're under a split model and that customer has a relationship with the carrier rep, the account manager. Yeah. But, you know, if you cradle to grave, I mean, you're pretty much doing everything an agent is doing. Yeah, you're like already, already an already. agent. Yeah, it's like you're doing everything. You're just not really, you're getting the security of a, like, not getting paid, yeah. and, you're, and, you're, and your ceiling's a lot lower, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, and you don't really need to even have a massive book of business to, I mean, I mean, most agent programs are paying somewhere between 70 and 75%. I mean, if you move 40,000 in profit, you know, which you know, a lot of customer sales reps would be mediocre numbers to, but as an agent, you know, that's what, 28,000 a month times 10 is 280 plus uh, another $300,000 a year just with a 40K book of book of business. But like you said, a lot of people want the security, but it's doesn't take a massive uh, amount of book of business to make a lot of money as an agent either. No, and then like you hit the nail on the head, right? If you if you understand that model, it doesn't take a lot. And you know, it says the numbers keep going up to what you think like a, a pretty good or a very good and then a really good sales rep making a W-2. It's like the agent model, that number goes up big time, right? But I think a lot of people are just like, well, I need my base salary. What am I going to do for three months if I fail? Like yeah. I have this like if I fail mentality, but if you're thinking you're going to fail, you're either going to do one of two things: work your ass off that much harder that you will not fail, or you're going to be so much in your own head that you will end up failing. I, I think some of it too has to do with you know the non-compete culture too, the non-compete, non-solicit. I mean, I had just the other week I was talking to a TQL rep who's absolutely destroying it. You know, six seven months in, and he's quickly realized like, hey, I could make a ton more money being an agent, but you know, I can't, you know, obviously take the risk cause I'm going to get, you know, going to get sued. Um, you know, there's, I didn't really realize until I got into logistics. I mean, lawsuits in this industry are very, how very does that work because I mean, obviously I'm not experienced on the broker side. Um, a lot of, you know, even I tell dispatchers, I get into a huge company, you know, learn it's like a university. Once you know what you're doing, move on to somewhere where you can make bigger impact. How does that not compete? Like that, like that specific person you just said, like, is he just stuck there and anytime he quits, he's just stuck on the non-compete for one, two years? Or does it time out after a certain time? Like, Matt, like that's for oh, you. Oh, 
Oh, sorry. I wasn't like, sure. Where do you sign that non compete? Like, how long is he stuck working there until he can become I mean, an agent? Or does some he just get sued no matter what? Like, some non competes are one year, some are two years. Some uh, states so if he aren't. Stays for one to two years, then he can leave on his own. No, no. Once he leaves, he can't He's work stuck. in the industry but for that's one like year. indefinitely, no matter how much time he spends in the company. Yeah, it doesn't matter how long you spend oh. at the company. Oh, well, and the worst part, the worst part is, you know, that from my mm. opinion, a lot of these guys and girls that sign these, you're signing them for like your first job out of college or like your first job after you sold cell phones at Verizon. You're like, cool, <laughs> uh, sales job. And you're, you're just so excited to sign. Like your base salary is higher. You see this 401k, the benefit, you got Blue Cross benefits. Now you're like, boom, and you're, and you're just written, you sign it. And then like, then when you go to leave to you know, 18 months, two, three years later, you're like, you know, maybe you have an attorney, like a family friend, attorney, a cousin, someone or a real estate. <laughs> You're like, yeah, and then then you realize what you signed. Right? What you did, yeah. Oh, because, yeah. I mean, that's typical. Like, yeah. even when I was in plumbing, man, I joined the worst, the most like garbage, toxic culture plumbing company. But it was a university, man. Six to eight months, twelve months later, I was a subcontractor. So yeah, yeah. I put in my dues. But that's the thing. At the twelve month mark, whatever it was, twelve months, fourteen months later. I just said, like, hey, I quit. I'm starting my own thing, and I was out. But, like, this – I never really thought about it this way, where, like you said, you're fresh out of college. You know, you go somewhere to start learning, a, 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 you know, a business, and then you're ready to step out to be an agent, and then now you can't for one, two years. Like, that's – No, and again, I'll go to another sports analogy. Imagine, like – let's use LeBron's example. He's changed teams multiple times in his prime, right? And another reason why he's not Jordan. I'm a little biased, but <laughs> – are you a Heat fan, by the way, or a Bulls fan? Because you go back uh, and forth. So often. I'm, I'm a diehard Bulls fan, but I do enjoy going to Heat games. I'm a big Jimmy Butler fan. But of hey, course, AKT, I don't watch a lot of basketball, but we have like the Jokic. Like, I try to watch all of his games, but the problem is that basketball over here is at like 2 3 in the morning. It's usually, say, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. Awake. I'm usually awake, but like, I miss a lot of games. But yo, OKC, I've been watching what they've been, yo. I mean, I'm a Raptors fan. I have to be. I'm from Toronto. Sure. And like they're having, we just got RJ Barrett back. So, I mean, that's like, you know, a native, native Toronto. I saw player. that. Yeah. It was an OG and an OB for RJ. Yeah. I'm still a little salty to lose OJ, but oh, oh, yeah, he's good. OG's good, man. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, like a sports analogy. Like, yeah, like imagine LeBron leaves the team and then he can't play basketball. Like, you can't play, but you, uh, so when the Heat signing this lucrative contract and he won the championship. <laughs> You can't go back to Cleveland. Actually, you cannot play basketball anymore. So you've yeah. got to go do something for the next year. That sounds insane when you say it like in that, you know, yeah, that sounds, the, skill, the skill that they've been training their whole life to be the best in the world or whatever you're going to be to try to be the best at. So, oh, oh because you, you signed with one of 18,500 plus brokers, but you sign this contract, you cannot go do what you've learned how to do. Yeah. Are you seeing a lot of pushback more from, from candidates on signing those? Like, or is because the market, isn't like it was in 21, 2022 that candidates are more willing to sign them? Or what are you seeing on the candidates? I'm seeing, I'm seeing a bit of both, right? The candidates, you know, candidates are always the ones who, who are paying attention is, you know, not their first move or they you know, probably made a move before. No people in the industry can talk to people like you guys or me or friends or attorneys or just, just to get, you know, just, just have conversations with friends. I'm seeing that, um, you know, if, if they're paying attention, they'll ask. It doesn't always get them the, the answer they want. But I am seeing a willingness from clients um, or prospective clients to negotiate fairly for people with the right impact players, right? An impact player is always going to get treated differently than you know, middle of the road, average Joe. So um, I am seeing the people that are savvy asking or and, and I am seeing a lot of clients that are not so strict that or maybe they'll even talk about 
um, giving you named accounts, right? It's like, okay, if you're bringing book of business over and you know, these 12 we've discussed are yours, they came from the, you know, wherever you come from. So different things like that, right? Or be like, Hey, where do you have relationships with it? You've got like a really good relationship here. Like, you know, potentially bring those over. So I am seeing, so it's, it's getting different, but again, um, it's, it's, I think everything depends on the company and the rep. There's no one size fits all cookie cutter program, but I think the industry, and, and there's a lot of people who put some really good content on it on LinkedIn all the time, but I think the industry is eventually, let's call it, albeit slowly is, is moving away. Right. Cause you always hear like companies are moving away and I'll hear through like back channeling, like some of the most outspoken people that I see on LinkedIn about non-competes. I hear are in situations trying to go after ex-employees for non-competes, but they're, really? touting, but they're touting on LinkedIn. I, and, I, and I'll keep the names to myself because I, I can't confirm, but I, but I've heard different stories, right? And say, like, okay, you're so outspoken, but then like if somebody was with you for seven years, who was an impact player left and, and you're trying to go after them for non-compete. Interesting. Yeah. And that, that's the thing you don't really know. I mean, on, on, on LinkedIn, I, I've heard similar things too of people that'll they'll say they're, I don't know, all about paying carriers more, you know, and then you hear from a carrier, this broker's one of the worst people to work with, you know? So, I mean, sometimes yeah, it's, yeah that little you got Matt Dahl, yeah. who's super nice on LinkedIn, but that's interesting. You, uh, interesting. You, know, you bring that, uh, oh, no non-compete, but very aggressive, uh, non-solicits. Okay. I mean, um, non-compete, that's the one where you're stuck, right? That's the one where you can't work. Yeah, non-solicited is just, non -solicit the just the customers. But then if the customers call you, that's the loophole to the non-solicit problem. Yeah, it's it's a little more complicated than, it's a than little, that. A little we, more we, complicated. We, we, <laughs> we could probably talk about this for hours until yeah. this time tomorrow, and I don't think we would have a clear-cut, concise answer or reasoning or know what's I mean, just explain to me, since I'm not, obviously, I mean, we get into this situation a lot. Um, I don't understand the business, you know, from the broker side. Like, so how, how does this work for you? You guys, like, just take in some talent, and then if somebody, you know, says, hey, I need some carrier sales reps, I need some, you know, this, this, and that, then you guys have your talent pool and you're filling positions. So I, I guess, yeah, in, in theory, that the simplest, simplest form Simple. Somewhat, yes. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, that's obviously, you know, that's the, yeah. the easiest. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But, you know, um, but then things can get, you know, a much higher level. So, you know, a company can can be growing like crazy or take on some new funding. But, hey, you know, that we want to go from a $25 million brokerage to 100 in the next X years. Now we need a new v VP of sales, right? Or we need a VP of carrier sales, VP of operations. So we can get in some very high, high level executive searches as well, which, you know, which, which I love to do, right? It's like, okay. Now it's a, not to just bring in, and it's great. I love placing sales reps and, and the operational roles. But like when you get into like strategic thinkers and people who like you look at their resume and then you've got a back channel and, and you know, whether it's somebody I know from my own personal network or who in my network knows them, you know, you get together, you have dinner with those people, you talk to them on the phone, multiple conversations, you really see what they can bring and what their vision and how their vision and experience aligns with a company's vision to grow. Right. Or it can be a company saying, Hey, we're at 30 million revenue. Um, you know, two years in 2024, we want to get to 45. We know we're going to have to do that through sales. We want to go hire six sales reps in the first quarter. Um, so it really varies. But yeah, so a lot of times, you know, and I think sometimes, you know, the, the recruiting game, people used to confuse like, okay, you're, you're just getting people jobs. No, like <laughs> people, people are hopping, yeah. you know, like, the old, like Craigslist or like Indeed, like, 
actively applying maybe because they're not currently employed. Like they're looking for, for jobs, right? We're, we're really trying to take valuable players in, in the freight industry and yeah. move them to industries, with, uh, sorry, companies where yeah, they can the thing, Cause I mean, like you just said, placing people into a job, they can just slap out like, Hey, looking for entry level position and they can hire those people themselves. Yeah. So we need an HR, you know, HR generalist to, yeah. to assist like our the magic starts happening when you're looking for like, you know, people that are actually going to make a huge impact within a company. Yeah. I mean, I, I've the got more a complicated roles. Yeah. I've got a client of ours. Um, and, and, you know, he said, I, I need a high level experienced carrier sales rep with extensive reefer and produce background. Right. So, OK. So and most times in like on LinkedIn, every once in a while, somebody might say what they specialize in. But like now you're not just like you're not just picking something. You're like, OK, I've got to do my homework, me and our team to find somebody who's going into all these Sam's Club, uh, all the different grocery store warehouses and who understands reefer, understands produce. Right. Not just frozen reefer. So it's like very specific. And then you get into like, and that becomes a, that's a fun search where it's like, so you have to find, you know, not only the personality, right. And somebody who's going to match culture, whatever, you've got to find someone who possesses that whole skill set, Right. So say, like, Oh, okay, cool. You know, somebody might say, Oh, I've got, I think I have a great person. They're doing all reef or whatever you find out. And just none of its produce. It's all frozen. Right. So it's okay. You're close, but like, you're still nowhere near the exact position. That's right? you're not working. You're close. It's not, yeah, yeah, it's you're close. Yeah. 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 But, but, but again, so stuff like that, or, you know, as, as companies grow out, you know, another client we're looking for potential leader in Mexico um, who's got uh, experience leading in Mexico. So, you know, that, that starts to get fun when they're like, when the opportunities are not just find me salespeople with a book of business. Right. Um, she probably get a lot of right now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but, but that being said, you know, one of the, one of the things we have our, our all of our recruiters do, and that comes from leadership, uh, leadership down all the time, always be connecting with sellers in the industry from, you know, six months into 20 years in, you know, always be connecting with them, having the conversations because you never know. You might talk to somebody today, um, high level sales, the opportunity might, might not be there at the moment for that. That fits what they're looking for. But in three months, maybe their needs have changed or their requirements like, boom, you know, but they had the meaningful conversations with Ryan Paul or one of my other recruiters. And they're like, Hey, you know what? That, those conversations with Logitown in January, February, March were great. Um, they changed my commission structure in April and now I'm pissed and I'm leaving for sure. Let's go call, you know, recruiter A, recruiter B or, or somebody who might, might have an in, right? It's, it's interesting you say that when I, when I left, that was exactly what happened. I, I went to, I wasn't ready for a while and I went to a recruiter that I'd, I'd talked to and reached out to me, you know, months ago. I didn't end up, I didn't end up going with that company, but that was you know, I went with John Rogers, obviously he was my buddy, but my number two option that I was strongly considering was a recruiter that had reached out to me a month previously. Yeah. It's just because the conversation and somebody you remember, right? Yeah. So that's the, that's the importance. And I think it goes for you know, the recruiting side and also the sales side of freight. Like you need to have memorable conversations and, and let's hope they're for the right reasons, but you have to be memorable. Um, if not, you get lost in the shuffle and, and, and along with the me being memorable, you've got to have follow-up. Um, both, and this, this is for both the recruiting side and the sales side, right? Effective follow-up. Um, you need to be courteous and, and, and in front of people, but not pushy and just be there to bring value. Right. I mean, I think like John had made a post about this. Um, I think, I don't know, sometime last week where it was like, you know, if you're funny, people remember you. And I think like, not just to be funny in general, but I mean, I think in logistics, we have a, like a huge space to be able to read the room effectively. And like when I'm on calls with people, like, uh, like I book a load with a guy today. I'm like, yeah, thanks. So, you know, we just switched from being like, Hey, do you have this load to like, just talking about like, 
just stuff like just personal things like hey you watch this game this and that i mean i think there's a lot of space in this industry to be like who you are as a person and i think a lot of people will remember you i want you know they'll feel more comfortable doing business with you if you're just like who you are as a person rather than being robotic and super professional i mean but some people again some people usually the older the older crowd they want you to say okay sir this and that my truck's going here yeah and i mean i think you got a relationship i mean yeah, you really got to a network man in this industry percent. Uh, the beauty of it is like we're not hiding behind spreadsheets all day right like we get to pick up the phone i can hop on a podcast i can go meet an industry connection for lunch or dinner maybe get around a golf not in chicago but in florida but like you have the opportunity to to, to connect and make meaningful connections um you know, Alex, just getting to know you, but Matt, over the last few months, just I started to get to know Matt over LinkedIn and then phone calls and now this, but it's like, and then you look at like all the mutual connections. You're like, damn, that person knows all the same people. And I've known some of these people for seven, five, 10, 12 years. Some people are like, oh, no, only that person for a year, but I talk to that person all the time now. It's like the industry is really big, but it gets really small. Yeah, that's a really good analogy. Like, I mean, all of these people, like I know people that I've just been talking to over LinkedIn for, for you know, 12, 15 months. And all of a sudden our interests align are like, hey, maybe we can get this. Like me and Matt, like about this podcast, like specifically even. Like yeah. we didn't even talk on the phone one time prior to doing this podcast, basically. We had like one 20, 30 minute conversation. And, just roll and, then, we had our first, and then we had our first episode. And yeah. like we've seen each other around for over a year and we never yeah. talked to each other. And now all of a sudden, you know, we have a mutual interest in something. And you just never know in this. Like you said, it's a big industry, but it's really not. Uh, once you start kind of getting around the same types of people and you know the bigger names it just starts getting even smaller at that point right? yeah and then, then you find out you know a lot of people spun off from like certain different companies it's like oh you knew so and so that worked there it's, there it's like and it's like someone's cousin and you're like gee we're a lot closer <laughs> than we really thought we were yeah uh, i mean um, recruiting it sounds cool because i never thought about that idea like i think we talked uh, i mean we had ray on last time too um and when it comes down to it like I always had this like idea of recruiters to be for like, I don't know why, just entry level positions. But now yeah. that I'm thinking about it, like, and you, you've been kind of like, you know, you're kind of like a basketball manager, the way you like speak and present yourself. And there's a lot of sports references. Yeah. And I'm thinking like, man, like, yeah, you guys aren't going out looking for like, you know, a rookie. You guys are going out looking for like that LeBron for, for, you know, Anthony Davis type of trades. Like, yeah. yeah. Like, big, we, crazy, like crazy names. Yeah, crazy we got to bring value and bring an impact player. Yeah, um, yeah, and obviously yeah. in, in organizations, it's all different parts, but you know, a lot of, you know, our key clients will have internal recruiting teams as well. Right. And they can fill a lot of different roles, general roles, but you know, I think it's really tough for an internal recruiter who might have three, five, seven years of, you know, HR recruiting experience, but they've never sold freight, never done it. To be like, okay, I can run through regular questions, but like a lot of stuff you'll get off it's, fire, yeah, right? Like, oh, yeah. a person, like, you're like, this guy's gonna be an absolute savage working on getting trucks, but treating his carriers fairly, whatever. And I can see all these qualities in him, right? And I, and I don't think of like carrier reps that I work with over the years. Dude, dude. What like qualities HR, are I love? That's the thing that, that really like that, that's that should be like your selling point as a recruiter because like HR, for the most part, they're there to hire people like with like soft skills and stuff. But like I asked my HR, like uh, in the last company I had an HR appointment with, I was like, hey, like, uh, I can't remember what I asked her. How many trucks do you get there? Something. And she just looked at me like with like this blank face, or, like what brokers don't use you. And like they can't like handle those questions. Like you said, when you're talking to a guy, you know, he's going to go out and kill it. Like that guy or a girl, like they're going to want to talk to you because you know the business and you've yeah. done the business. And you're telling them if you go into this company, this is what your job is actually going to be besides from the work hours and your days off and i mean i feel like that's a huge 
value add, um, you know, for a recruiter because you guys like know the industry. Um, yeah, let's, I want to touch on that too because I think Ryan and I have talked about this, but I mean, and you see this all the time on LinkedIn. You know, a company will put up like or make a post every other day that they're hiring, or they'll have like Indeed, and they'll get a hundred applications on Indeed. But I mean. I don't think like top notch, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong here, Ryan, but I don't think top notch talent is going on indeed and being like, Hey, I'm going to leave my $85,000 job and go look at this one of a random 20 companies that's posting their job on indeed or LinkedIn. You know, I, I, that's just me, but no, no, they're, they're not really. And you know, the, the part that I'm really fortunate is having been in this industry for 19 years, the network is pretty big and, and always growing, but, and then a lot of word of mouth, right? It's like, if you take a salesperson that you, you might've had some great conversations with and taken to a new role, they kind of knew who you were, knew who I was. They, they really liked the new role. Like nothing's more powerful than referrals. Right. I mean, it's like, Oh, you know, I, I was on, I was at a place where I was for five years, thought I was going to be there for the next 10 or 15. Some things didn't go my way. A boss left, commission trains, operations were, were stripped. Say, you know, I needed to move companies, but I didn't know where to go. And Logi Talent helped us move there. Now, all of a sudden, they've got two or three buddies that want to move, right? Yeah. yeah uh, I, mean, I think in a relationship business, like we all say, this is like Matt's saying, like, I don't think people that have been doing this five, 10, 15, 25 years are just going to be like, oh, I don't know anybody in this industry. Like, we all yeah, know everyone. Like a random, uh, a random yeah. job application on Monster. You know? right. let's, let's just go be one of 94 applicants for, for, for maybe <laughs> one or three roles, right? And yeah. on the flip side, you know, and, and we we do this a lot with our onboarding of clients and like when we tell them how we like to work, like our goal, and it's not always possible, but like everyone we present, we think there's a viable case to hire them for the role or roles available, right? Like we're not going to throw shit at the wall and give you, if you say you want two sales reps the first quarter, we have this conversation, you know, today, we're not going to throw you 15 resumes by Monday, right? <laughs> so, so no, if, if I had 15 amazing sales reps, I'd probably spread them out, right? I'm not kidding, but, but again, but if you have 15 and, and say in that 15, there's two or three good ones. So there's two or three, but why not send the two or three great ones and weed out all the other ones that, no, it doesn't mean they're not good people or, or just not qualified or not what the client's looking for, right? Why make the client have to go through that and do the work, right? Part of paying for, you know, recruiting service is to get great candidates and get great qualified candidates, right? Like that's that's what our job is. You know, yeah, the company has to interview them, put them through their their skills, their tests, their assessments and, and make a decision that they want to hire the candidate. But like uh, a recruiting agency that's specializing in logistics, brokerage shops, they should be like, hey, we're bringing you top-notch candidates. Doesn't mean that they're going to hire everyone, but like you shouldn't be bringing them so many candidates you've created more work. I mean, that just devalues what you're doing as a recruiter. You should hope that, and then the track record will start speaking for itself. And when you brought good candidates there and they're performing well, it's like, you know what? We used four recruiters. Now we narrowed it down to two. Lottie's still, Lottie Town's still one of two. And just like brokerage or carriers, right? Don't, don't be exclusive with anyone because you're just limiting it. But you're going to want to use the people that support you the most and give you the best value in terms of talent, service, and what you need. You're going to favor them and you're going to trust them more over time. Do you see that with your with your clients too? I mean, do you guys keep track of like, you know, how long, you know, an average you know, candidate you placed, you know, stays there or, you know, do you, or their performance? Do you guys keep track of any of those things like internally? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we, we keep track of all that. And then obviously, you know, as, as most recruiters do, you've got the guarantee period. So I always tell my, I tell our team, I go, okay, so day one. So when, when they sign, okay, we've got them signed. Day one is their first day in the office. Now, 
doing everything. They're getting on board, but like, you need to be checking. I go check in day one, check in the end of, you know, day two or three, end of week one, week two. But on the check-ins, I tell my team, especially for sales reps, you know, you can't just call. I can't call Matt. To all my, hey, Matt, how you doing? Oh, it's great. A really good company. Like the people mm-hmm. and the next week. Oh, it's going really good. But like, but I want my team to check in. Okay, Matt. Okay. Been there for a month. You know, month one was good. I onboarded two of my old clients, brought in one new one. Um, you know, first two weeks for training, but you know, ended up with 24 loads and like three 3,200 GP. I right? just throwing numbers out there, right? That's getting to know what your candidate's doing, right? Next month, you know, 54 loads, 6,400 GP. Uh, third month, 30 loads, 3,000 GP. Well, Matt, you were training really good. What happened? Oh, you know, something happened with deliveries, lost my biggest customer. Like, right? but that's what it takes to really stay on top of your candidates, right? And then, you know, Keep checking in. And the more you keep checking in, it makes, makes the candidate feel appreciated. Like you, you like, like you're interested in what they're doing, but also um, you can't get blindsided by, you know, you know what's going on when you're talking to your client about like, Oh, how's Matt doll doing? You can talk about numbers. It's just like, Oh, he loves it. Says it's great. Well, oh, it's pretty good. Things are like, don't give me pretty good, pretty good. Like give me tangible numbers. So I know how you're doing as a sales rep or it's like, you know, if you're uh, if your sales manager, it's like, okay, Jimmy, what are your goals for the first 90 days? I'll hire three reps. So until you're talking to that person you place about how you're doing in the hiring process, and hopefully you're bringing him candidates to hire because he's in a position where he can hire you. You got him the job. He likes you. But, you know, you really need to be checking in uh, and seeing how people are getting and how they're training. Are you, are you seeing, um, you know, are you seeing a lot of companies on that, you know, being pretty flexible? I know you just talked about the guarantees and, you know, you know, checking in, keeping up with candidates. Are you seeing companies that you know are being pretty lenient with you know timetables of new reps? Or I mean, I'm sure you've had some bad experiences too, where companies they'll just say, "Hey, it's day 89, and you know we just <laughs> oh, yeah. want to let this guy go." You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and that happens. It's, it's fewer and further between. But I think that the most important is to set the expectations with with the clients, companies first, so so our firm knows or any agency knows, you know, what they're looking for, what they expect, how base salaries and certain incentives translate to what kind of ramp up period, but then have the candidate go through. And I, I tell candidates, I go, you're in sales. We've already pre-qualified you. We like you, whatever. You don't need to go oversell yourself. Don't overpromise on delivery. If anything, um, don't completely sandbag it, but sell yourself short so that like they're going to pay you on the minimums of what you think you can do in month two, three, six, 12, right? Go for the minimums. And if you surpass that, You'll be compensated by the commission, or you can have a chance to renegotiate or like uh, renegotiate a salary, right? Like, okay, taking a seventy k base, but if I hit these goals, let's build in an escalator that if you hit these goals within month three, you're bumped to eighty k, right? Yeah, sounds like um, it's all about having those conversations up front. You it know, is. Not- you got to see. You've got to have make sure the expectations are set. Um, because without the expectations set, I think you're really putting the candidate and the client in a bad spot. With no clear expectations, like you're kind of going into something blind, and it's like whatever happens, happens. If, if you're an absolute killer, there's nothing to worry about. But in a market like this, even absolute killers should be optimistic, op- cautiously optimistic, right? And say, hey, we know our abilities, but we cannot control the amount of freight shipper A, B, and C has in total. We can control being at the top of their list by providing value and, and, and doing things that way. But we can't make their volumes go back to 2022 levels overnight. They have to go reinvent their business or, or sell out of their own business to get the volumes to come back. Oh, 100%. Well, I know we're we're getting towards the end, but I mean, what would you kind of say about what would you kind of want to say about Logi Talent and obviously recruiting just like brokerage is a you know big you know competitive industry? What would you say kind of some of the differentials are of 
of logic Allen and, you know, over the, over the competition or things that you guys you know, do really well if you were you know selling a potential. Yeah. So a couple of things for Logi, um, and you know, the story bit map, but you know, I've got, I've been in the industry for 20 years, strictly on the brokerage side with a, a little bit of freight forwarding experience. I've sales for years. My old man comes with you know, 45 plus years uh, on the freight forwarding side, 25 plus on, on the recruiting side. And if you look at the teams we've assembled, a lot of the people have done the jobs where they've either been in operations roles, they've been in leadership roles, they've been in sales roles, but they worked at brokerages, shippers, freight forwarders. So they understand freight. Um, but you know, what we really do is we take a people centric approach for both the candidate and the client. And, you know, we have no problem if a candidate has three offers and only ones from us being the best consultant we can to tell the candidate, but Hey, look, let's, let's weigh up the options. What's the best for your career. Right? So we don't do things for the sake of logic town. We find if we do things the right way and put the candidate and the clients first, everything else should usually fall into place. Right. Um, and I think that's an attitude that more recruiting agencies should have. And if they, if they did that and had that attitude from the top down, I think the level of success in the relationships you can see will be is, is greatly improved. Um, you know, at times recruiting agencies do get a bad name, some just like some brokers do, right? But if you look at what the good ones do and do differently, they should be impacting lives of the candidates and the clients. You know, clients should be like, you know, look at the growth we've um, seen by using Talents candidates uh, over the last two or three years. And clients would say, hey, you know, it was really at a crossroads in my career. Love selling. I had a couple of you know moves that where I was oversold and, and underdelivered on uh, by what companies were going to do, and they could promise me from you know, when I left my first job that I loved. And you know, move number three, hopefully going to be my last one. Where I'm there for 15, 20 years, and show them and get them reinvigorated, or you know, somebody that's killing it, but you know, the company's going through organizational changes. Go help them find somewhere they can get, get back and up and running as quickly as they can without stalling their business, right? Do you have any cool stories like that, you know, of companies that you started working with in 2015, 2016, and maybe like 20 million, and now they're, you know, 250 million and tripled in size? Uh, the most recent one. So we got connected with a company 18 months ago, um, privately held. I uh, won't say the name, but if you do some research, you can probably find out who they are. But, you know, when I met them, it was the owner, his best friend, and their first hire. And this was in July of 2022. Um they have nine, let's call it eight or nine X uh, revenue and profit in 18 months. And they've gone from three people to 31. Oh, and I'll wow. be in the down market. The cool thing, you know, we talk about the, with their leadership team is that, you know, when things ripped, they grew fairly quickly, but not that fast. They grew. But when things fell off, they kept growing because their network of, of who they were able to call on and this, and they had the right salespeople in the right seats, they were able to keep expanding. So like by opening more doors, they were getting more freight. They didn't have so much freight that they were losing freight. Right. Um, and and they, they keep growing and they'll probably double again, at least this year. But to me, it's cool because, you know, we, so they went from three to 27 and we were responsible for 11, 11 of those hires. Oh, wow. So you, so, you have a lot of, are most of them uh, still there of the 11? All of them are there. That's pretty, pretty impressive in the recruiting. You have 11 for 11. Yeah, um, it, it is. But I, I think a lot of it, I'll test to the hiring process, right? Like the client doesn't rush into making a hire just to fill a seat. And if it takes an extra week or two, but they feel really comfortable about that hire, they'll make the offers. Um, you know, a lot of times you've got to be patient and work with what the client needs. But you know, that's a company that I think is very positioned to to do well over the upcoming years. And when the market starts to take off and, and go up again, I think their growth will just will kickstart even more. I'm kind of shooting some questions I've had on my mind just at your point. Uh, you're yeah. bringing up a lot of uh, 
you know, that was a really you know cool start. I haven't heard that much growth from three to 31 and have 11 of yours still there, but are you seeing that on like the candidate side? Do you have any candidates like from 2015, 2016 that you placed that are, you know, still at their company and you still talk to today. I mean, I'm sure that side of it, the business has got to be fun too. We, we do. We've got a bunch and I've got guys that I brought in, you know, guys or girls is like four or five year sales reps, good books of business. And then now sales directors, VPs of sales, uh, you know, one of my guys I brought over to a company three years ago. And I think he now oversees a team of 22 reps. I think when he first got there, that's called, he was a, that's called a player coach where he had a book of business. He had like three reps and now less than three years later, he's up to a team of 22. Uh, in a prominent office in Chicago. Um, and it was his first 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 leadership role, and now he's at a VP level. So something like that is cool. I had a, a great one last year. I met a guy um, you know, filling fill some rookie roles at the end of 2022, and this kid works for the Nike sneakers app, and I'm a massive sneakerhead. And uh, I just told him, you know, just shooting the crap about a pair of shoes. And he said, hey, I noticed you're in Chicago. I said, actually, I moved down to Miami, but I'm from Chicago. He's like, I'm from Oregon. I just moved to Chicago and I said, Hey, have you ever thought about sales? And we, we kept talking. I ended up presenting him to a client uh, as a rookie carrier sales rep, went through eight weeks of training. And by month nine, he had his first 350 load month, no experience in the industry, 22 years old. Wow. Um, but you know, he took some advice from us, had a couple of guys we knew in the office that did really well. He, he kind of leaned on them for mentorship and they, you know, Really good reps if you catch them the right time and you're polite and showing an eagerness to learn and kind of imitate what they do. Um, a lot of times you'll find will we'll become great mentors. Uh, you can't be bugging them with like stupid stuff. But if you're really looking to grow and ask like, how they got good, what they did. And you know, nine months in, 350 loads a month as a carrier rep and in down market is, is pretty damn amazing. Oh, that's, that's really no experience. Yeah. <clears throat> Alex, you got anything on the, I'm surprised. I thought the whole show, Alex was going to ask you something about driver recruiting. I was just, I was just. Uh, I mean, Matt basically told me yesterday, like we were talking a little bit on LinkedIn and he goes, what are you going to ask tomorrow? I told him, bro, this is like so far not involving me and like (laughs) what I do every day. Oh, it's funny. Driver recruiting. I've got a couple of friends that, you know, that, that do that or work for firms that do that. That's a whole different, whole different beast. Yeah, I mean, we're dealing with it, honestly, like, um, I, I don't know who our recruiters are. I don't care. It doesn't like that. My boss deals with that kind of stuff. Yeah. But, like, we're going through, like, we hired, like, let's say 10 to 15 to 20 people. And, like, our turnover is, like, bro, out of, like, let's say every 10 trucks that they bring us, we keep, like, one or two. Like, the driver recruiting yeah. space. I've heard crazy. I've heard the turnover is insanely high. And it's, like, and, and you'll, you'll lose them for every reason you never even Every reason, bro. Anything, anything. I had one guy who, like, literally started swearing at me, like, send us death threats, bro, because he was waiting, like, 90 minutes for a load on his first day. I was, like, holy <laughs> Christ. Dude. Like, so, driver recruiting, like, yeah, I don't know how people are doing that. But this is the thing, because those... Those drivers, it, like, I mean, I'm not a driver recruiter, so I don't know this, but I had for like two, three months, I worked at an office where we did have internal driver recruiters and I talked to them and they said, yeah, like the drivers are all super nice to us, bro. As soon as that driver gets in the truck and there's like any problem with a load or something, you know, that guy changes from how he talked to them to how he talks to us. And Yeah, because yeah, I mean, yeah, they're, they're, they're trying to impress to get the job, right? Bro, bro, like those guys are just like the nicest people, nicest people. Yeah, yeah, yes, and sir. As no, soon man, as they get in the truck, they, that, that's done. That's yeah, done. Yeah, yeah. So. they're calling you and Alex, why am I waiting here? Like, do, dude, some, dude, do this, this guy now. told me. 
stop talking. I need my load. I was like, holy Christ, dude. Yeah, I just hung up, Ozzy. I was just, just fire that guy. We know, we know that guy doesn't use automated phone systems. <laughs> you, see, you see any dispatchers getting into uh, getting into brokerage? I, I was telling Alex, maybe you should consider being a broker. You can uh, maybe get him a job as a, uh, as a broker in Serbia. <laughs> Yeah, he'd, I mean, probably, he'd probably kill it, to be honest. I mean, <laughs> that's like we keep talking about it. That's like a natural conclusion to my career. But I mean, I, I don't want to be the guy that's like, oh, you know, like I've had great success in the, these couple of years. I've been doing this and, and now I'm going to go move on to something I don't know. Um, I mean, I'm happy with what I do. I like talking to the drivers. I was telling Matt, like I already went through this, like the worst historic market in like forever. Yeah. Like I want to see the other side of this as a carrier. Like I don't want to yeah. switch to being a broker. I found here all my carrier friends, which is like all my friends. Like, yeah, I'm booking six dollars a mile again. Like, yeah. I don't want to miss that when it happens. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but see, on, on your side, I think that the, the career progression can go into like multiple different levels of operational and dispatch leadership. Right? It's like you understand it from that side, um, and then you know whether it's you know the broker side, three pillar, even the asset side. Like, once you learn that skill set and how to do all that, you can go. You run teams yeah, of 10, I mean, 20, 30, 40 people. I think carrier, like these skills are transferable. And like, I think I was talking to a bunch of broker agents that like have agent model, like kind of programs. And they were telling me like, yo, like your best selling method to a shipper would be like, hey, like I personally have trucks that I used to dispatch. I can still use them. Hey, I ran free. Like, you know, like yeah. having that as your selling pitch, if I ever moved to brokers. They were yeah, and you know, you know, all the pain points. You're like, I, I know the things that shippers hate. I know the troubles. I know the trials and tribulations. You're like, I know the frustrations because I've, I've helped solve them or been, been in these issues before. Yeah. And I think if I just tell them, hey, I have, you know, five years or I have eight years. Like, I mean, like I always look at it, I tell my girlfriend and, you know, my family a lot. Like for every day you spend in this position, like you're just growing your resume, the good, the bad. I mean, there's no wasted days when you're staying in one field, you know. So no, I, mean, exactly. I like what I do. I moved into management. I've had dispatchers working under me and. I mean, every day is just an extra day on your resume. You can learn, like yesterday on LinkedIn, I learned I've been using DAT wrong for like five years. So, I mean, like, you know, you, you can and, always and, learn and, something. And now you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it's cool. Like I told Matt, like, I mean, I don't have much, um, not that I don't have much interest, that's the wrong word. I don't have much, um, I guess, experience because a lot of our guests are on the brokerage side. But, I mean, it's like I'm just listening. I'm taking in all this information. and It's just yeah, making yeah. me, like, you know, grow in the industry. And like I wouldn't have the like without this podcast, I wouldn't be in a position to be on calls with people like you. And I've sure. met so many awesome people that you know I wouldn't have ever had a chance to talk to if it wasn't for this. So well, that, that, that's great. Ever. You see from all different sides, and and when, and when you do want to make a movie, you know who you can call, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm actually, yeah, you know, I like you, man, because you remind me a lot of like I'm telling you, like I played a lot of sports. You remind me like of that typical like nice high school coach, bro. That's just like a good guy. He just wants the team to go out and have fun, but actually teaching them stuff. Like, yeah, you give me like a nice, nice vibes, man. Love it. That's it. It's a, it's a good, it's a good day in the, in the new year, and there's no, no, no problems in the fan right now. Yeah. <laughs> That's always well, cool for me because Alex generally about half the time I get ninety percent of the the guests. So yeah. a lot of times he doesn't know your background or or your yeah, history so it's, it's always more me for that like well no, i think it's almost better you can just roll into it and like as questions come up or as you're thinking about That's things you, thing. you don't like, you're not don't rolling wanna, you're not rolling scripted thinking like dude, i don't want to roll into it and be like oh i talked to this guy the day before for an hour i know every single thing about him now like it's more yeah. fun where like because a lot of people that are watching this might not know who you are so like i get to kind of 
learn with people. Yeah, else. instead of just yeah. going through and you're like, hey, I'm going to ask him all these questions, but I already know the answer to these. Yeah, yeah, like I get to ask things and hear the answers for the first. It's just a more natural. But people are like, this guy has no clue what the guest does. I'm like, of course I don't, bro. Like I'm a carrier. I have no clue what these hey, things You're not, not claiming that you do, but you'll find out. This this was pretty funny though, Ryan. We had uh, John Brewer on. Oh my he did god! The director of distribution at at Hardee's and Carl's Jr. And yeah. Alex didn't comes into the show. We get him on live. He's like, "So you're at Harvey's, which I guess is some restaurant in Canada." Yeah, but how am I supposed to know? I don't know what Hardee's is. I've never heard of that either. Like, how am I supposed to know that? Like, come on, dude. Let's had some classic I mean, I got truck, moments. Too. I got trucks to dispatch in the worst market in history, bro. I don't have time to be going and doing like autobiography research about guests, bro. Come on, like, I mean, you got to give me that one because I'm Canadian. I don't even know what Hardee's yeah. is, to be honest. I, I learned new. I didn't know there was a Harvey's like a fast food chain in Canada. There you go. I, I just learned that is all I did was Tim Hortons for the coffee. Uh, Tim yeah, bro, same. honestly, I honestly miss Tim Hortons, bro. Every Canadian, like we all hate it. It's the worst of the worst. But man, like a two dollar coffee, it's like you know, massive coffee. You get yeah. your garbage bagel every morning. I miss, I miss Tim <laughs> the simple things in life. I don't yeah. think we've done this in a while, Alex. But if anybody before we, you know, we're probably gonna wrap it up in a second. We have, I don't know, twenty people probably on between YouTube and that. If anyone has any questions they want us to ask Ryan before we, uh. You know, end this in a couple minutes. Uh, put it in the chat. And what's up with like this whole recruiting thing? Like, um, carriers, like, what do carriers never use recruiters? Like, do they, that's like always internal. Like, the, the carrier side, I mean, less than five percent of our roles will come from the asset based carrier side. Um, and if they do, it's usually some type of uh, an operational leadership role, right? I mean, but for everything else, they a lot of internal, a lot of word of mouth. I, I know some of the competition does dabble with stuff on the carrier side, but a lot of the stuff, um, you know, if we, the few and far between roles that we get are either, you know, on the leadership side, every once in a while they might be looking for somebody on the sales side, but the, the sales side from the asset uh, base carrier to the brokerage is such a different sell, isn't it? Um, and I, I've seen, not to say it's impossible, but it's improbable would probably be the right word to expect somebody to hit the ground running, making the switch from asset to brokerage or brokerage to asset to hit the ground running quickly. And again, especially this market, I think if you have this, the, the skills, you can do it, but there is a learning curve, right? Yeah. I mean, like in this, in this past 12 months, I've watched like people, I've watched like, this is always my favorite example. My one friend's dad owns like, um, not like a dispatch service, it's all internal. Like he just runs a team of like four or five, six dispatchers. They dispatch for only one carrier, the entire fleet. So they're basically in-house dispatch for a carrier. Yeah. But like even my buddy, like his dad owns that business and he quit being a dispatcher. He goes, oh, this is stressful. I hate this. Like, oh, he was working for his dad. Yeah. He said, I'm yeah, out. Yeah, he just told his dad, like, bro, I'm moving out. I quit. I don't want to be in logistics. I'm anymore. done. Like, yeah. How is it working for your dad? We have, we didn't ask you that. Obviously, you know, your dad's been in the recruiting game for 20 years. He posts some great content, by the way, uh, on, on LinkedIn. He does. Um, he's, he's good for, for some, for some <laughs> ruffling the feathers every now and again as well. <laughs> I like when he, I, he had that post about the freight forwarding company. Uh, what was it like a month or two ago that I guess like reached out to him and then like disappeared and, you know, like talking about communication. I thought that was a, that was a great Oh yeah. They, they, I think they'd reached out to him for like a, like a, a sales role or a leadership role. And like he had Candace and they just ghosted him. It's like, dude, you, you, you hit me up to fill a role of yours. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Is that fun working with your dad? I mean, uh, you know, great, man. Uh, you know, we learned a lot, you know, company we've changed directions, you know, a couple of times and adding the brokerage side, you know, four and a half years ago, which 
know, he, he knew of truck brokerage. He knew what I did, but like he was an old school international freight forwarder. So it, it's good. Um, you know, the, the fun stuff is like some of the joint functions that we do when we get into just the marketing, the organizational, the, the, the direction of the company, um, you know, or even sharing ideas. One of our directors, we're on our, we do an all team call every Tuesday. It's like 21 or 22 people, depending on who's on. But one of my directors in Chicago, she brought something up about um, what she loves to do. It, and her and I know talk about this idea pretty frequently. But my dad in 20 plus years of recruiting, and never heard of it. She goes, you know, instead of waiting for a client to ask for references, I always ask for references from a candidate because if they're an old boss um, or even somebody that you work alongside, it's like you maybe have three potential new candidates, right? or maybe even new clients, but like you have the opportunity to have a very um, close conversation with somebody who what probably wasn't in your network. So she asked for three references all the time. And then we're, you know, something we're going to roll as the team. It's like, okay, even if it's twofold, right? You're not scrambling, wasting time away from when the client does ask for them, but then you also get a chance to know people do, do more of your own uh, digging on that same person. And I, I always want to find a reason, like what can we uncover that would make somebody not want to hire them? Even if they seem perfect, like let's, let's just, let's just make sure we check every box on why they should be hired. But like, what can we uncover? And hopefully it's nothing. Right. But then on top of it, when you get those three references, like you've got three different people to call and expand your network. Right. If you have five candidates a week, you know, which wouldn't be a, a, an insane amount of candidates. You know, I think that's what a good recruiter, you know, very, very middle of the road, singles and doubles. Now you've got 15 new contacts just from that person. Now, I think a lot of recruiters, I've seen over the years, they'll ask for like, oh, ask for straight up referrals, right? Oh, referrals, but it's like, okay, you might get a referral every now and again, but if you're asking for, um, if you're asking for references, like you're going to talk to somebody that person knows pretty well. You would hope they would, right? Like, I'm not throwing Alex as, as a reference. If he's like, oh, who, who the hell is Ryan Paul? Oh yeah, oh, yeah, I remember him. Worked with him like four years ago. Oh, yeah, he, he was, he's a good dude. They're like, well, okay, <laughs> that's a question mark at best on that reference, right? It's like, okay. Are you so seeing would, companies companies do that? I Like references or is that or is that being moved away? I just kind of think about, you know, all of my, my jobs I've had and what hearing other people in the brokers. I don't hear that much anymore that, you know, that's at least maybe, for sales roles. Maybe, maybe 30%. 20 25 30 so not a ton but um but some will okay yeah i've been asked to references to be like hired as a dispatcher like this guy's like hey can you give me three brokers that you've worked with I'm like are you kidding me like so i just messaged like three of my favorite broker carrier reps i'm like hey like can you just answer the phone and tell this guy i'm a monster he's like yeah sure yeah, done yeah exactly i mean i don't know i think references is like like nobody's gonna give you somebody that's gonna say something bad about you, bro. No, and I've got a funny story about I've got a funny story about that. So we had a client um that was getting an offer after a kind of a lengthy interview process, and they were kind of on the fence about him. A candidate um was gonna get getting an offer pending the references, and literally his first reference was like, Yeah, yeah, the guy was pretty good, but he, like he's a big talker and his numbers are really never what they say they are. And I was like, <laughs> it wasn't my candidate, it was one of my you the reference to call. So the girl called me, she's like, Hey, like I talked to so and so's reference. I'm like, I'm like, Yeah, everything good. She goes, No, check this out. He's like, the reference said he was like, he was okay, but a big talker and he always inflates his numbers. I was like, he just gave that as a reference. <laughs> yeah, like that's my point. Like, I don't know. I can't I but can't but who's giving a reference is not gonna give like, aren't you checking to make sure like 
Yeah, like didn't you call that person? Yeah. Like, you you have to show. Do you guys do you guys ask for numbers? Kind of. We didn't really talk about that, but like if somebody's like you know saying they did X Y Z, are you guys asking to to see them? Because I feel like any good sales rep, if they actually have a proven history, should be able to show you know, what kind of numbers they've, they've done in the past. Well, a lot of what we do, what we train the team to do is like, uh, and when you're talking numbers, right, you're talking low count revenue, GP margin. Like those are numbers that any good rep should be able to spit off the top of their head. They shouldn't be like, oh, let me go back and look at my my spreadsheets. Like if you're getting paid in a big portion of what you get paid on is commission, and even if it's the, what, the third day, third working day of the month, second working day of the month, you know, holiday, right? Like, you know, you move 24 loads for 4,000 margin, 12,000 or whatever, right? You know that because you can see it real time, right? So if you're like, hey, what did you do, you know, 2022? Um, if they've been like, oh, well, I got to go back and double check, like, hold on. That person is already, that's a red flag. And like 99% of the time, they're, they're already they're already out, right? Like, if you think, I mean, how does this work on the brokerage side? Because I know on the carrier side, um, when you're in a large carrier, like they have, like they, they make your weekly reports or your monthly per reports to, to kind yeah. of have some competition element in the office and have people. It's like motivation. I mean, it is. Honestly, that's like the best free motivation because at the end of the month or the end of the week, like every dispatcher, that's a competitor. Like we all want to be yeah. at the top of that list. And, yeah. But I mean, how does it work for, for sales? Like, because I mean, now, like if somebody asks me, because they've asked me, like, how's your performance from the past two months? And usually I'll have some Excel sheet that my company yeah. made me or, but I mean, I, I'm kind of lazy, bro. Like right now, if you ask me, I mean, I have my reports just luckily because I need them for accounting, yeah. but I don't have like my miles and my RPM. Like I'm not. Yeah. See, for us at command, we were so competitive and obviously knowing your numbers, you could see what your commissionable dollars were for the month, right? Or for the no, day. Okay. Whatever. So for <laughs> us, like, you want to know what, what, what commission you're at for the, the week, the month. So but like, and, and, and it was just a good way just to be competitive and bust your balls. And you'd be like, damn, like so-and-so has never beat me. And now yeah, like, the last yeah, two yeah. months, he's kicking my ass. But I mean, I, I can go back and I don't have my load counts anymore because now we're talking 15, 16, 17 years. But 04, 05, 06, sorry, 05, 06, 07. Yeah. 05, I did like 400,000 my first half year. But then I jumped to 1.2 million and 1.4 million. And like, I remember those numbers. It's like, I'm like, damn, I sold over a million dollars of profit. And like, you know, now, you know, I'm a lot harder when I scream people than some other people. It's like, oh, I'm doing 30,000, like math throughout 40,000 a month, right? Like we were doing, you know, 75 to 100,000 a month. And I was probably at one point of the first full year, like number 11 out of 22. So like middle of the road of that company, but I was a million dollar plus GP rep. So like in, in this market, people are like, oh, you're a rock star. Like that was just like good enough to be like a 23 year old kid doing my job well there. <laughs> it was expected of us. And like, if you look at the numbers, but they expected excellence, right? Um, I mean, now I, I think, think like, you, yeah, go ahead, man. I was just that's where you got to ask questions too. I mean, because I mean, it kind of matters, you know, what if they're in reefer, if they're cradle to grave and they're actually doing their own ops and have less time to sell, or if they're full time selling. I mean, I think that's where, yeah, you know, or, or it's like, oh, you're moving 600 loads a month. Oh, they're oh, but they're all LTL and they're booking on, on an app and you got two yes. clients and a 3% margin. Okay. Now I get it. Or their house <laughs> accounts. I, I know I've heard stories of people that are like, yeah, I sell this much. And you find out like half of their business was just given to them. You know, yeah. they, they didn't onboard. Anything. And we always ask like, did you close? Did you, oh, okay. You've got 14 accounts in this much of, of what percentage did you close? Did you close all of them? Like you actually brought like, and we'll dig through, like you brought those accounts and oh, well, my two biggest ones my boss gave me. Okay, so that's 80% of your book. I mean, it's just funny on the carrier side because I was in like a large company not too long ago. And uh, I kept trying to like, because I'm competitive. I always want to be the best. 
but I had a roster of 10 drivers and combined like three, if I put three of my worst drivers, like they, they cover 450 miles a day, bro. All three of them put together. Yeah. And I'm like, bro, you guys gave me like the handicap fleet, bro. And you expect <laughs> me to like come to the top. Like, ah. yeah. Yeah. It's just funny on the carrier side of things. Cause we have these same conversations. Like yeah, you know, maybe the context of your performance, like, Oh, you had seven flatbeds, bro, and this guy had seven dry vans in the middle of summer. Like, oh, I wonder why you're doing better. You know? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You got, yeah. So, I mean, wow. it's interesting, man, because you can draw a lot of parallels to the two. At the end of the day, it's just like office culture in this business. You know, like it's just a lot of people are ex-athletes. A lot of people, you know, are ex-something competitive that come into logistics, and so you get like a lot of a lot of like healthy like i bet one of my buddies is like yo if i beat you this week like you're buying the whole office pizza and i beat him thank god because i didn't want to buy the pizza it was yeah, a big yeah, but that's fun like, you, can, you can banter over right i mean competition's ooh. huge i mean I, I i mean that's a big motivator for for a lot of sales reps but um i can't believe we've talked for almost an hour and a half ryan it's been uh it's been really fun having you on and fun. we just you know, uh that was, that was that was uh my first podcast so pop the podcast cherry there we go yeah <laughs> Hey, you know uh, what normally happens true. when you do one, then people see you on here and you'll probably in the next month or two get asked to do a uh, a couple. I wouldn't be surprised. I'll be I'll be halfway famous like you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully for more of the right reasons. I've been kinda, <laughs> I've been kind of in the, the gutter lately, man. Uh, my name is not not too nice right now. But yeah, you got to be nicer to brokers on LinkedIn, Alex. That's your problem. <laughs> hey, me and Ryan will link up, man. You never know. And, you know, like you said, you never know how a conversation goes. Maybe in five years I'll be, you know, another Logitel and success story. You, you know, yeah, exactly. You never know. Like, like we said earlier on the call uh, on this uh, podcast, like the industry is so big, but it really gets so small. Yeah, man. Like I said, it was nice to have you on here, man. It's nice to meet you. I mean, that's our first time ever talking. And like I said, we're, yeah, we're great connected to meet now. You, we'll yeah, we'll like keep that. in touch. And, awesome. I mean, yeah, thanks for coming on, bro. Perfect. Have a, good, have a good rest of the week. Thanks again, Ryan. Thanks, guys. I'll see you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, That was man. fun. Well, we're 30 minutes past the hour. I got one truck left for the day. So, I mean, that's uh, that's it for me. Man. We got another show tomorrow. Um, we're, we did today with Ryan, the agency side. We're going to talk to Bronley over at Megacorp tomorrow at the same time. To Dude, I'm so excited for that. I actually like, I love Megacorp. Like whenever I see their loads, I always know I'm going to have like some nice, nice business. There's all I've never had like a Megacorp rep that like just stopped responding. I mean, I generally always have a good experience with them. So well, maybe you can ask her tomorrow about it, what goes into, you know, their carrier reps and the training and, you know, the recruiting and you know that kind of thing. Yeah. It's going to be, that's like one of the, the, the most interesting shows to me. Cause I actually used to, and I mean, used to, I don't do a lot of Megacorp now because it's power only, but uh, dude, I used to haul Megacorp. Like when I saw them on the board and a no rate posted, I was like, oh, this is gonna, this is the one, bro. This is the one that's going in the truck. So I love them. Sounds good. Thanks again to our sponsors, HD Ships uh, on the bottom right hand. And uh, yeah, you can check us out on Spotify and Apple. Um, we are on there now. Alex figured that out. So yeah, man. Hey, happy Wednesday. I'll see you tomorrow back at the same time. Sounds good. Peace. Peace, bro.